You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. This podcast is sponsored by Rask Invest, my guide to money and investing on the ASX and globally. To learn more about Rask Invest, follow the link in your podcast player. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn more about their personal finances and get the most from their money. This series is hosted by Kate Campbell from How to Money and Owen Raskovich from Rask Finance. The Australian Finance Podcast is provided for educational purposes only. The information is general in nature and does not take into account your needs, goals or objectives. What that means is the information does not apply to you specifically. So consider getting the advice of a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Hi, Owen. Today we are talking about... Fire, so the financially independent retire early movement. Movement. Okay, so we've got fire, we've got movement. What is it, Kate? So it's pretty much blown up in the last few years, but it's the concept of becoming financially independent so that you can choose to retire early. And early in Australia means pretty much earlier than 67 or so if you want to. Okay. And so it's about building wealth outside of superannuation. So... You can quit your job if you so choose and do whatever the hell you want. Cool. I like it. Howl, fire, plenty <laughs> of good things that we're talking about in this episode. But no, you're right. So we've got fire, uh, stands for financially independent, retire early. We have another one, fior. Is that how you say it? Yeah. So another one I saw because fire does get a bit of a rap because people are like, oh, well, I don't want to retire early. Yeah. I, don't... Like, I think it's, um, so fire, fior, financial independence, optional retirement. Hmm. But I mean, the concept, you've financially independent, you've got the option to retire early if you so choose. Yeah. So back before the FIRE movement, back in my day, all of three years ago, before this was an actual thing that people wrote in their blogs, people it was just, just called financial independence. Yeah. People were just going around, setting goals, becoming financially independent and not really talking about it. Yeah, that's it. But now they do. And that's a wonderful thing. I mean, there are worse things in the world to blog and to write about. So this is a good thing, I guess. Um, yeah, and I think it does. It's a really interesting goal because 
having this one goal becomes a lot and a lot of mini goals because you start learning about your budget, you start learning about investing, you start learning how to control your spending a little bit and cut back in areas that aren't important to you. And you learn a lot about yourself and your attitude towards money. Yep. You learn about your philosophy of life. So I feel like it's an umbrella goal because working towards achieving financial independence has like a hundred mini steps along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not just this one big picture. Mm. Um, It's one big thing that you need to achieve. It's all these little things, these little sacrifices that go into it. Uh, But basically to just bring it home for some listeners fire and you've written here is all about increasing your savings rate so the amount of money that you save from your after-tax income so the amount of money that you take home consuming less pursuing happiness and having the financial freedom and flexibility to choose if how and when you work sounds pretty good yeah i wrote that but i think it sums up my thoughts on the matter (laughs) yeah yeah fair enough and you've also got another note here that says fire is not necessarily about frugality so not about being a tight ass necessarily (laughs) and not spending your money or being a miser is another way to put it uh more diplomatically um but it's not necessarily about being frugal and retiring to do nothing there's so much that goes in between those two extremes Mm. uh, which we'll get to in just a moment And I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions that has made it a hot topic because you're just imagining people retiring at 40 and sitting at home and watching Netflix all day. Yeah. I've used that example. Using someone else's account. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The friend's Netflix. (laughs) That's But really most people that have the sort of aptitude and dedication to achieve financial independence earlier than traditional retirement age are not the kind of people that are going to sit and watch Netflix all day. No, they're not. And that's probably a fair, I guess, generalization, mm. right? The people that I know that pursue this type of thing are not necessarily the people that just sit at home all day. You know, most people think they're quick to palm it off as you have no pleasure in your life whatsoever just because you save a lot of money. Mm. That's definitely not the case. Definitely not the case. At least as far as my exposure to it, it has been. Yeah. No, that's not what I found. But anyway, so let's just, we've, we've got some kind of action points here we want to cover off on because these are kind of like the big, picture questions that people Mm. have about the fire movement so kate i guess i'll throw it over to you first and i'll say why has fire or just the idea of financial independence really taken off these past few years i think it's especially because people have started writing about it online it's no longer this secret thing people do in the background Mm. some people are actually willing to share their stories either along the journey or actually have achieved fire and so newspaper outlets are picking up the stories because the headlines of i retired on a million dollars at 30 years old are pretty extreme and they get clicks Mm. and um, often they only tell sort of part of the story because you see obviously newspapers are going to pick and tell which facts they choose so sometimes if you've just read one newspaper article about it in the age or whatever it is in Australia you might have not the full picture of what it could mean um, and you might have sort of rubbed you the wrong way because it's just an example of someone who's cut every single thing pleasurable from their life um, and they just saved money and not spent anything. And you might think that's completely not for you. But if you actually dive a bit deeper, you can find there's so many people that are willing to talk about it online now, whether podcasts in the US, there's quite a few now, uh, books, blogs, and they're actually willing to share their journey in a more realistic way and more thorough way Mm. towards financial independence and how it wasn't. Some people do it through mass frugality and you do see blogs out there about that. That's probably not what I'm interested in so much. I'm not 
going to try and repair every single thing myself and use only sort of one type of toilet paper because it's cheaper uh, or whatever it is. But um, it's really interesting, the mix of different people online that you can get ideas from and for anything from increasing your income, starting a side hustle, reducing your expenses, someone's written about it. Mm. Good point. Yeah. Interesting with the uh, toilet paper example. I like it. I have read that one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, so it's not necessarily um, this big movement about just cutting every cost out of your life and just saying, see you later, happiness. Mm. Um, And the reason why it's getting such traction is because blogs and websites have made it very simple and cheap for people to come up and, and tell their story. And how they've done it. And people uh, are giving you the numbers online. Their mm, full financial yeah, picture. Yeah, that's it. So in the past, you would have to pick up a book because someone would have had to have gone to a publisher to get that book published and yeah. then it would be on the bookshelves. But now you can start a blog for like 10 bucks. And, and there are a lot of them are anonymous. Good to go. Yeah. So they're happy to share a lot more details that they wouldn't necessarily tell you in real life. That's it. There's the um, um, a couple um, that blog under the name Dividends Down Under, or DDU. Mm. Um, they... Uh, pretty much share everything down to what air conditioner they bought, why they bought it, those types of things. And those are really, I guess, neat ways to just understand your own budget and relate to that, uh, even if you don't know their names, for example. And someone's circumstances might be completely different to yours, but there's lots of interesting things you can pick up from reading different people's stories. And you might not know anyone in real life you could talk to about this, but going and finding these blogs online actually sort of opens up a different world to you. Yeah, that's it. Um, and it also takes away the legwork of you having to think about all the different things that you might have to mm. think about, right? Like, is it worth um, having private health insurance? Has someone written about this that I can, you know, yeah, who's their own done the research and I can rely on that? It's all free, what have you. Okay, so here's the big question. I guess people are th- sitting back thinking, yeah, I've got some debt. It sucks. I barely make it, you know, to the next week. Or like I'm saving a little bit. I'm investing a little bit. How much do I actually need to reach fire? Mm. That's my question to you. Yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking you're the math genius around here. A common rule is the 4% rule, mm-hmm. and it might be a place to start if you're trying to work out what works for you. So you want to be able to safely withdraw 4% of your net worth. Say, let's just talk about a million dollars because I can do the maths bit easy, more easily there. Um, so you've got a million dollars and you can safely withdraw 4% from your diversified portfolio. So mm-hmm. you've got you've got exposure to Australian and international equities. You've got exposure to fixed interest products like bonds. So it's diversified. So stocks and bonds. Yep. So the whole portfolio is not made of um, art or anything Weird. strange. Yep. So, and you can safely... All property, uh, just not all property. Yeah, because you can't just sell 4% of your house off each year. Yeah. Um, so a diversified liquid portfolio that you can safely through either dividends or just selling some of the capital, take out 4% each year and live on it yep. so indefinitely. Then, so the 4% rule, effectively, let's just say we have a million dollar portfolio. It We expect to get a 7% return. So $70,000 for those of you playing along at home. Mm-hmm. And we can assume that inflation, that thing that pushes up the prices of everything each year is around about 2 to 3%. If we say it's 3%. minus 3% equals 4%. Mm -hmm. And so we would have to effectively, working that backwards, we would have to get a 7% return to withdraw 4% effectively. Yeah. 
So 7% return to a draw yeah. 4%. So you're not needing crazy exotic returns. It can just be, it might just be a balanced yep. portfolio, but it's that point where you can, so a million dollars liquid and you might withdraw 40,000 each year to live on. Yep. And then that's a starting point to work on, well, how much do you actually need to live on each year? Yeah. And then you've got to think about how much do you actually spend at the moment each year to live a comfortable life? And I think that's the very first thing if you want interested in financial independence and just in terms of sorting out your finances full stop, how much do you physically spend in a year? Yeah. So financial planners would always use some rules of thumb. And one of the ones that they would say is you need a multiple of your ending salary to retire comfortably. Mm. So they might say 20 times your salary, right? Which is quite an overwhelming figure for many but the way you could think about it with the fire movement is not a percentage or not a multiple of your salary, but a multiple of your yearly spending, mm. right? So that's kind of it should be a lot lower that figure, and it's one that you have more control over how much you spend as opposed to how much you earn. So how much you spend, you might make eighty thousand dollars, so twenty times that one point six million, but you might only spend forty thousand, right? And so if you're going twenty times that, you know it's, it's considerably less. So that's, I guess, at the essence of the FIRE movement in terms of living for, within reason, living frugally, yeah. but then also being able to control your financial destiny by keeping those costs down to a, a, a level that you are comfortable. Mm. And so I think that's the key here is that, you know, you might say that I retire early and there's that old financial planning joke, um, I've got enough to live off for the rest of my life, I just need to die next week, <laughs> right? And so it's all relative. Yeah. So if I say I want $2 million, you say you want $3 million, how long do you have to live? What are your, you know, what are your expectations? How many people are you providing for? That's like, it. As soon as you factor a second person or children into it, it completely changes the numbers. Absolutely. We've already talked about education and those types of expenses. Just that is below the lid on everything. Um, we, we know from, um, I'm going to bugger this up, but the Australian Superannuation Financial Authority or something, it's ASFA. I don't know what the uh, acronym stands for, but ASFA tells us that in 2019, 2020, uh, a couple to live comfortably in retirement wants about $60,000. So it's about 1200 bucks a week. Um, so if you do the, the figures there, you're looking, you know, if you do, um, I say 20 times that for, that's in terms of your yearly living expenses, it's a considerable mm. amount of money. One thing though, is that the big hurdle for most people is, house do they pay it off yeah do they start building their nest egg outside of the house sooner and if your house is the better part of a million dollars then you're gonna have to change the numbers because you can't just withdraw four percent of your house yeah. each year unless you didn't want to do some convoluted reverse mortgage which goes up as opposed to down yeah. over time but that's we shouldn't even mention that <laughs> shouldn't even put that in the idea uh gen for most people but yeah um yeah you're right and so what and this is where it's really good. We've put a heap, you've put a heap of show notes in different blogs. Go and explore the different blogs. Find the flavor that is that, that works for you. So you might find that some of the bloggers have pursued dividends, um, like dividends down under, as well as then saving up for a house. Or some have pursued a house or an investment property before they've pursued a mm. share portfolio, for example. Yeah, and some are big advocates of renting and some want to buy the house further down the journey. Yeah. So it's, that's why it's great to have a look at 
lots and lots of people's different experiences yeah. and find something that maybe is a bit relevant to you. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Kate, so we've got, we know what we kind of need to get to to retire or we have a, a rough idea. We know what it is. We know why it's so popular. How do people get on the fire trail? Yeah, so mentioned before, working out what you spend in a year and what you need to exist. So like the two ends of the spectrum, what you need to have a comfortable life and what you need to have the minimum to exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sort of working back from there and developing a budget that's going to allow you to put money aside each year to reach your financial goals. So if you wanted to be, so you're 20 now, you want to be financially dependent by 45, say, how much, and you think you might need a million dollars or $2 million, how much are you going to have to put aside each year over the next 25 years to reach that goal? And you can use the Money Smart Compound Interest Calculator sort of to have a look at and play around with that. Um, and then also factoring in that your income's hopefully going to increase mm-hmm. over your 20s and 30s um, and sort of working about what your goal is and trying to work backwards from there. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's important, which many people don't add in, this is a bit of a nerdy thing, many people don't factor in the effect of inflation. Mm. So you got to remember that that's a big thing. Another thing is tax. So what you get after tax and after inflation probably isn't what you've modeled in the calculator. Yeah. But just for round figures, absolutely, you can use one of those compound interest calculators. Um, this, this is kind of where... Uh, I, I'm going to bring this quote in now. I had it for further down. It's one of my favorite quotes on saving, and it comes from Morgan Housel, uh, pretty much the greatest writer that's ever existed in terms of <laughs> finance. And he says, this is a quote, past a certain level of income, what you need is just what sits below your ego. He goes on to say, think of it this way, and one of the most powerful ways to increase your savings isn't to raise your income, but your humility. Mm. So past a certain level of income, what you need is just what sits below your ego. And I guess that's not necessarily... People don't pursue fire because they have less ego than you. But what they do realize is that necessarily... You know, it's not necessarily the, the material items and the spending that brings you happiness. Yeah. It's, there are many other things in your life. And so we've got down here, and this comes from Mr. Money Mustache. Um, and he's identified some uh, research from some... Uh, I guess scientists, if you call call them psychologists, Um, and in no particular order, the biggest factors which influence human happiness are meaningful work, and by that uh, they mean autonomy, low levels of stress, and a low level of fear of losing your job. We all know what that feels like. Mm. Um, Their private life, so I, I guess I would define that as your connections with people and connections with the environment in which you live. Yeah. The other thing is the community. So where does a community bring you happiness? Absolutely, it does. Health is an obvious one. Um, freedom, which plays right into the mm. financially free retire early movement, and the philosophy of life. I think that's kind of like a catch-all at the end. That's effectively saying what's your you outlook on life. Yeah. yeah. And so if you think about that, the, the this is this is what um, psychologists and scientists have found through rigorous study. Nothing there has uh, BMW has jet ski has uh anything of that sort in that Mm. you know there's none of that it's all about how you are as a person i guess your personality those types of things your outlook yeah and i read once um i think it was a book to do with financial independence but uh it was 
had an exercise and they said, write down the 10 things that are the most important to you and you want to spend the most time doing. And then it said, write down the things you do spend the most time doing and you spend the most money on and sort of compare those two lists and where you actually want your priorities to be. And it might be your spending time with your family and where you're actually spending most of your time and money. And can you align where you currently spend your time and where you want to spend your time hmm. and where you currently spend your money and where you want to spend your money more in line. That's a really interesting thing. And it, it um, reminded me of this other concept, which is negative visualization. So it's how to put things in context, what's most important for you. And again, I'll quote or just reference Mr. Money Mustache for this idea here. But um, it's he says, you know, we become accustomed to uh, spending on things and we get this rush of um you know, this really good feel-good factor. When we spend money on something, it's like an adrenaline rush. How good is that? But it wears off pretty quick. But what you find is that the things that you most value in life and when you get to this kind of happiness factor, the things you most value in life, they tend to be the things that you take for granted. So once you buy something, you tend to take it for granted after that adrenaline rush is over. But he uses an example of eyesight. So he says, imagine, close your eyes and imagine for a moment that you're blind. It's going to take time before you get back to feeling happy but once you do you'll be content with that but chances are for most people listening to this you can open your eyes and ta-da you've got your eyesight back and how wonderful it is and we don't appreciate something um, until we really think about it yeah and it's gone exactly and so that's another thing that kind of feeds into this fire movement is once you stop spending on those things you realize maybe that they're not the important thing if you want to you could but you don't have to Right, so it's kind of like just, I guess, appreciating what you already have and spending less time on what you don't have. Yeah, and it's also knowing why you want to do it. If you just set the, if you just start putting heaps of money aside for no strong reason, you're not going to last very long, and the budget's just going to collapse. Yep. You need to know your motivations. You need to know what the idea of financial independence looks like for you. Maybe you do a vision board or you have a spreadsheet, whatever it looks like for Mm. you to sort of get that idea into your head. Um, And then you want to understand your motivators behind it because it's not just like you're locking the money away for years for no reason. You're pretty much buying back your time and buying back your independence. Mm. So you are putting the money to something that's important to you. It's just further down the track. You're not getting an immediate item. You're getting essentially time in the future. Yep, absolutely. Well said. Um, okay, so I guess this leads us into our next point, Kate, which is, do you think everyday Australians can achieve fire? I think yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think it definitely will really vary between different people because depending on which career path you've chosen, your family, um, your goals, you might just be happy to live quite frugally or you might want to go on a holiday each year and enjoy sort of a more... Um, I don't know, they call it fat fire, but a more sort of luxurious approach to it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will all vary time. So it might take you until 50 or 60 to be financially dependent, or there's some people that I've seen online that get there by 30. And so it's possible. It's just really varied. So I definitely don't look at people online and think, oh, I'm already 40 and I haven't even started. There's no way I can be financially independent. You don't know, have to worry about the retire early part, but being financially depend, independent, even if it's not by not until 60, it's really good for Oh, yeah, it's still a wonderful achievement. And I guess one thing 
I've used this quite a few times on the podcast, but it's the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. And what that means is once you get your mind over the hurdles to start saving, to start investing, to live this way, um, they become habits and those habits become effectively what you do day in, day out. And before you know it, you're actually saving and you don't have the struggles that everyone else has, the financial, the mental, all Mm. those struggles that everyone else has. But the point here is, even though we say that the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken, I do disagree with that statement because they can be broken. I've seen people who go on a one-way, seemingly on a one-way street to spending, to consumer debt, to everything, and then they realize that isn't for them and they take steps to get out of it. So you absolutely can. doesn't matter how old you are. Obviously, if you're 40, you're not going to retire by 30. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you can do it. You absolutely can do it. Yeah, and I know there's a, there's an Australian um, individual that blogs under Late Starter Fire, and they're in their forties, and they they talk a lot about feeling like they were way behind because they read all these sites, and they're about people retiring in their forties and thirties, and they were just sort of looking at it, going, "I haven't even started," mm. and it's a really interesting journey to read about and how they got sort of they started taking steps to change their future. And I guess this is the thing too. We talk about this a lot in investing and in that context, but it also applies outside of that. There's absolutely no pleasure in this world whatsoever from having envy. Mm. None. Charlie Munger says it. There's absolutely no pleasure from it. And so if you look at someone else and you think, hey, you retired at 30, I can tell you right now, I'm not going to retire at 30. Um, I think good on you. Do it. Absolutely. But that doesn't, I don't let that impact my happiness that I haven't got that. Just pull up your laces and go and do what you got to do. Um, it doesn't matter. I would say late starter. Maybe they could say mid starter because that's not even that late when you think about retiring. If you retire at 50, that's still early to retire. Like you ask mm. the generation um, older than you when they retired. I mean, it, for the majority of them, it's not that age. So I think that's just pursue it in any case. Um, okay, so I, I reached out to the folks at um, the couple at Dividends Down Under, and uh, I've just got it in my little WhatsApp chat here, and I've also written it down there. But I asked them, what is fire for you? And they said, to substantially spend less than one earns, probably living quite frugally and invest heavily until reaching a wealth amount that could support you for the rest of your life. That's how they define fire. Mm. But then in a practical sense, what that means is, for us, that means saving 50 to 60% of our after-tax pay and investing until the annual dividends would cover our desired expenses. 50 to 60%, you know, that's a pretty, for most people, I would say that's an ambitious target. They've mm. been doing it. Um, if you think, imagine just for a moment, this, the majority of people listening to this will not be saving 50% to 60% of the income unless they live at home with their parents they've got a good job they don't pay board blah 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 or they have a really lucrative side hustle or they have a really good side hustle or they're just really really wealthy they might be the exceptions but there's not going to be many of them for the majority of us we're not going to be saving 50 to 60% of our income particularly if we have kids um, a mortgage those types of things Mm. so the thing here is that you don't have to that's just their definition of it you can start at 1% savings this week, 2% savings next week, blah, blah, blah. Work your way up to it. One really powerful thing is to track it. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about the savings rate. You, it was in the, um, the introduction you did, Kate, at the top of the show. Uh, savings rate is basically what you save or invest from your take-home pay. So if you 
take home $1,000 and you invest $200, that's $200 or 20% as a savings rate. Mm. And so that's the figure you should be focusing on. That's the figure you should be tracking. If you have an Excel spreadsheet or Google Sheets, you can just have two columns, your income, your expenses, and then what's the difference mm. in the third column. And that's, um, that's your savings rate. Okay. So that's where I would start. Excel sheet, define your goals, um, understand necessarily what your sacrifices might have to be and, and, and work from there. Um, we've, you've talked about multiple incomes, side hustles, talked about increasing your pay. So one of the big tips is try and get a yeah. pay rise. Yeah. And further education yep. is super important to increase your ability to earn. Yeah. Because that's like increasing your pay by 10% is a lot I would, I'd argue, easier than going cutting 10% of your budget out. Mm-hmm. But there's an important factor here, which is this thing called lifestyle inflation, mm. is people getting a 10% pay increase and then they increase their lifestyle 10% to match. Yeah. And one of the best things you can do when you get a pay rise is to split that money off into a separate account. So just kind of like wedge it off. That automatically goes somewhere else. You don't even see it. It just goes there. Yeah, because you didn't need that money before. That's it. So you're living without it before. you still theoretically shouldn't need it now, but mentally you start changing your lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, by all means, go out, buy yourself a gin and tonic uh, or a bottle of wine and sit there and enjoy it for one night. But then you can then, from that day on, you can use that money for something good further down the track. Retire earlier, pay off the mortgage, those types of things that lead to this thing called fire. Okay, so we've got some other tips here for anyone or everyone that's uh, looking to save and get to fire. And one of them, which I got online, which is really cool and it probably applies to me, is don't think of restaurants as a source of food. Yeah, Shocker. I, would, I definitely agree that <laughs> agree that Uber Eats is not the path to fire. I mean, I've fallen into that trap a little bit recently, but uh, trying to get back out of that. I think one of the biggest tips you'll, you'll read online is actually learn how to cook so i'm trying to take my own advice at the moment and uh, how did that start go learning. tell us tell us it's been a went. bit of a disaster so far but um just got to give it a chance i think okay yeah so i'm a big one uh, restaurants as a source of food i love eating out i love coffee i love all these things i'm if i could sum it up it's like my personal life like family investing coffee <laughs> Those are like my three things. Yeah. So I, I often go out, but restaurants are a big one because you go there, you get your food, you get your drink, blah, 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 blah. Um, some people are like, you know, food is sustenance and that's cool. Whatever works for you. But um, one thing is, you know, you can find ways to eat out on a budget. You can find ways. And this is where we talk about getting creative. You can find ways. Maybe if you go out, you don't have a drink out there or those types of things. You know, you just get food and then you go to somewhere else to have a drink. Um, okay, so the next one is, and this is what we're talking about, bonuses. Yeah, so windfalls are for buying freedom, not jet skis. So that could be anything from a bonus at work, a pay rise, uh, an early inheritance. Who knows? Yeah, so, but, yeah. Or even winning the lottery. Yes, it could be. So I mean, winning if that, the lottery. If that happens to you, no jet skis. Wow, well, yeah. I mean, don't get me started on jet skis. Um, anyway, so next one um, is don't people who are pursuing fire and they're doing it properly, they don't try to gamble their way to wealth. Mm. That's a really important one, right? Don't, so don't put all of your hard-earned savings in one barbecue tip that you've been given. 
because you think it'll just instantly propel you to financial independence. Yep, absolutely. I mean, maybe one in a million, but in, probably it's not going to be you. Yep. And then the, and this kind of relates to the next point is it doesn't take crazy returns, mm. just commitment over a long period of time. Yeah. And if you if you do dive into it further online, you'll see that most people have a very simple investment strategy, mm. but it's just happening over 20 or 30 years of regular contributions. So it's no no crazy returns, no crazy strategy, no guesswork involved. And they've just set it up and they've focused on it over a long period of time and they've reached their financial independence goals. What do you mean they're not using CFDs? Yeah. Oh my God. No Bitcoin? No, no Bitcoin, ah, no marijuana No stocks. one has any fun anymore. Okay. Owen's very disappointed. Yeah. So, okay. So it doesn't take crazy returns. Um, I guess this next one here is a really good point. Read about other people's journeys, but don't let comparisons or regrets stop you from starting your own journey. And we talked about that. Yeah. So if you just, if you're reading all these sites online, you're going down the rabbit hole and you're starting to spiral and go, I've left it too late. There's no way I can do this. And then you're, it's just making you unhappy and you're not actually taking any action. I would stop mm-hmm. reading that. And I just go back to basics and just start focusing about the basics of personal finance. Take fire off the table, sort out the budget, sort out debt, sort out emergency fund. Just, yeah. Because if you can sort of get a bit obsessed reading these sites and it can make you want that 20 year goal right now. And mm-hmm. so I think of, I think almost when you get your plan, and you set yourself up, it's sometimes good to really cut back on the amount of people you're reading about that mm. have achieved it because it just sort of puts you in a bad headspace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we've got another one here, which these two are kind of related to each other, so I'll bring these up. Don't become so obsessed with the numbers that you f- forget to actually live your life and never sacrifice your mental and physical health to achieve financial independence. Both absolute no-brainers. Mm. So most people... Their perception of these fire movers, is what I'll call them. Um, their perception of them is that they sacrifice everything. They live like misers or like hermits and they um, effectively over-sacrifice for the yeah. future. Because we know that we need to sacrifice something for future gain. That's why we study early in life. So we have that reward later in life. It's the same thing with our finances. Yeah. But there is a limit to it, right? It's just like the person that stays at uni for the entire life and fails to go and get a job, um, the person that saves forever denies themselves so much. And so it's about finding that balance. Mm. And you probably know you're getting too far when it starts to impact your relationships. That's kind of where I draw the line. Not the relationships that are unhealthy, like let's go out and get absolutely sloshed on the weekend and spend a thousand bucks in a night. If If your friends are peer pressuring you to do that, that's probably not the right environment. Likewise, if you get older and you're comparing prams, and they're like $2,000 prams. That's again, it's probably not the healthy environment. But at the same time, if it starts to impact your relationship with just going out and meeting friends or doing something that's really healthy for you, that's probably when you've taken it too far. Yeah. Like you won't, you'll go out with a group of friends and you won't have a coffee yeah. because the only reason is because you're trying to save a little bit more and you're just, and then you become known as that person who yeah. won't shout a meal, won't get a drink, won't do anything. And I, I mean, there is reason. Within there reason. is reason, but yep. I think you can go too far. Yep. And I think I know a peer pressure is quite hard because often we have the culture of like shouting around of drinks and that kind of stuff. But I think it's just 
yeah, don't become obsessed with the numbers to an unhealthy level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one thing for me is that, and I imagine this is for this happens for a lot of people is when you look at a spreadsheet, it can become quite overwhelming. You think, okay, I've saved this much this month, but it's really not that much. You know, it's a couple hundred dollars maybe, or not even. And then next month you see the same thing and you can get really down on yourself. And this is just basic budgeting, right? But you got to remember the bigger picture. Jump back into that compound interest calculator and stick it back in there and see what difference it's making. Yeah. As long as you're happy with you, you're saving a little bit of money. Like I say to people, save up to 20% of your income. If you don't want to go above that, don't go above it. You remember you've got super as well, chances are. So that's another 10%. It's 30% of your income. It's a lot of money to save especially with an average income in Australia. If you can do that, that's you're on the money. Yeah. But, you know, you don't need to go to the example of 50, 60%. You can if you want, but it's up to you. Okay, and then I'm going to finish with one here, Kate. Um, oh, we'll go with this one here, this, this point here that you've come up with. So maybe I'll let you read that out. Yeah, so I think it's we've talked about it a lot in throughout the episodes uh, we've done but money doesn't buy happiness but it does make things easier mm-hmm. and i think it all starts with building your emergency fund and we've talked about that probably too many times but yeah, I, it, sick of it. it's really important because even just by building your emergency fund it gives you choices it stops you having to get a credit card if you need an emergency flight to see a family member or mm-hmm. you need uh, to take your pet to the vet or something like that. So it st- gives you choices to not go into debt. It gives you choices to uh, do something that you might not have been able to do. Um, mm-hmm. So by starting with the emergency fund and building up from there, it gives you additional freedom in your life. And I think there's an article I might have included in the show notes a while back, but it was about the F-off fund. So if you're in a terrible situation in work, in life, anywhere, you want a little bit of money aside that you can just leave. F off. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Great idea. You always want to have a little bit aside that's just yours that you can just leave any scenario if you need to. And that's a really good thing. So this is kind of, we talk about financial independence, retire early. It's pretty much financial freedom. Yeah. And this is what we talk about. Your first step to getting to financial freedom is to have that emergency fund backing you up. And we've talked about this many times. It's sell some junk around your house or put $2,000 aside while you pay off your debt and then work up, work that balance up to three to six months of living expenses. So it's a mission in itself. It's like a mini Everest in front of the fire Everest, but it's step one for most people. Uh, If you're new to the podcast, go back and listen to the the emergency fund podcast episode because that's probably the single most important thing. You can ever do, really. Monopoly analogy, get out of jail free card. That's what it is. Mm. Okay, so... Last one, radical idea, is debt the modern form of slavery? This is from a, this is from a fire movement blogger. Um, debt does suck the life out of you. And it is pretty much the thing that keeps people going back to work. It keeps the suckers going back to work. Um, that's at least the view of this blogger. Um, mm. There are other forms of slavery, which are still around today, so let's not make a lot of that. But it is, in terms of... Of all the things that could be on your financial plate, debt is the one that keeps you, holds you back the most. Yeah, it uh, holds you back from new opportunities. It holds you in jobs yep. that you might completely hate because you have to pay that mortgage off. Mm-hmm. And I, I know so many students are living paycheck to paycheck. So having debt really just attaches you to wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it does. But that's the uh, episode, Kate. 
we have a lot of questions to get through in the um, Q&A episodes coming up. We'll have to get back to doing some eventually. We know you love them. So uh, if you do have any questions, you have feedback on the fire movement. It's a pretty passionate crowd. We don't mean to offend anyone when we talk about this <laughs> stuff. Uh, if you have any feedback, please, you can write to us, podcast at rasfinance.com. Alternatively, you can find Kate. Uh, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus. And online, howtomoney.online. Yes. And you can find me at Owen Rask on Insta and Twitter. I look forward to having a conversation with you about fire then. And we've packed heaps and heaps of resources into the yes. show notes. Kate, you have done an amazing as job. As long as Owen actually puts them on the website, we're all set. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we definitely will. Okay, Kate, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Owen. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.